0: Now we're going to look uh, this morning, for a little while, as a standalone sermon, and we're going to look at the life of uh, Barnabas. So, we are going to be in Acts, but it's not part of the series that we've just finished. But it, it's, quite, it's, it's quite good, because it, we're still in Acts, so there's a link to what we've been studying over the last number of months. And it kind of dovetails well with uh, Cody's sermon last Sunday night on friendship, which he preached from Proverbs and... Uh, we've been looking at proverbs in the evening, so there's there's quite a nice dovetailing between the two. Uh, sorry if you weren't here last Sunday evening, but there is a link between the kind of friendship that proverbs speaks about, and also uh, the encouragement that is uh, uh, personified in the life of Barnabas. And I hope that we can think about the theme of encouragement this morning for a little while. It's a gift of God. Romans 8 to 12 speaks about the different gifts, and if you are an encourager, then be someone who encourages. And uh, we know that it's interesting, Acts speaks a lot about uh, the importance of encouragement. It's a gift of the Holy Spirit. I think it's uh, a gift that uh, is specially recognized in some people. In other words, some people are really special encouragers. It's also a gift of common grace so that anyone, whether they're Christians or not, can be encouragers. Uh, But it is something that for all of us as Christians, and with Christ, we can develop, example, mimic, and pray more for in our Christian lives. I think we need it. It's mentioned often in the book of Acts, and it's it's seen in different ways. Um, I think in Romans chapter 1, 11 and 12, uh, we have uh, a reference, as long as I see it, that it's in part to some spiritual gift to strengthen you, that is, that we may be mutually encouraged by each other's faith, both yours and mine. So there's this sense there, and also in uh, Romans five, 15, uh, you know, whatever was written in the former days. Uh, was written for our instruction, that through the endurance and through the encouragement of the Scriptures we might have hope. May the God of endurance and encouragement give you life, uh, give you to live in such harmony with one another in accord with Jesus Christ. So there's this great sense in which the New Testament church in Acts was one where the leaders sought to encourage the people, and, and likewise they encouraged one another. Also that we should be encouraged in response to the truth. So, you shouldn't really come to church and go away feeling miserable and wretched. You should be encouraged under the truth. Challenged, yes. You shouldn't fall asleep. It shouldn't be so horrific. It shouldn't just send you off into a, a daze of sleep. It should be spiritually encouraging. And uh, as we see the character of God, we recognize that that's His work. His work is to encourage us in our Christian faith. So, the challenge this morning for us, I hope, is to look into our own hearts, into our own relationships, marriage, Christian relationships, with your boss, work, whatever it might be, uh, your own relationships, your relationships with other Christians, and think about your life, and think about how easy it is today for you to be discouraged, and how easy it is actually, to be discouraging. We, we can do both, in other words. We can discourage, and we can be discouraged in our lives. Um, we face in our Christian lives a huge internal battle, don't we? We know grace, and we know God, and we know forgiveness, but we do face a huge ongoing battle against selfishness, negativity, and discouragement that comes much easier to us. We naturally are discouragers, and we are naturally discouraged. But the great thing about grace is a beautiful mark of not just common grace, but saving grace that's Christ-motivated to be an encourager. And I just want to—or I'm going to use this word a lot today—encourage you to be encouragers, okay? And we encourage one another. Life is short Uh, we struggle and battle with lots of different things. And Jesus placed Barnabas—God placed Barnabas—right at the heart of leadership in the New Testament church. Was he a big shot? Was he a great academic? Was he a man of outstanding faith? He may have been all these things, but what he's remembered for and what God placed him in the church for as a leader was to be an encourager alongside Paul are Very important. That fledgling, early, young church saw the need. God saw the need that they were encouraged. And we see what happens when they, at different points, are discouraged, and how deflating and difficult it was for them. So, I want to look at Barnabas um, and uh, look at his character this morning. There's five particular passages in Acts. We're not going to look at them uh, in any detail, but they just give us a little bit of a perspective, build up a character picture of Barnabas for us. And in uh, Acts chapter 4 and verse 36, we're told that uh, Joseph, uh, who was also called by the apostles Barnabas, which means sons of encouragement, a Levite, a native of Cyprus, uh, he was a part of that early church. And uh, he was, therefore, he was a Cypriot Jew. Okay, he would have at the diaspora, when people all left uh, Judea and Jerusalem, he would have settled in Cyprus. And so he was Jewish by uh, culture and by religion, but he had been brought up in Cyprus. So he he was someone who knew a different culture, and he knew a different language, and would have known a different perspective on life, which I think is interesting. And he was given a nickname— He was given a a nickname by the disciples. He was called Barnabas, Son of Encouragement, and that is because they knew him, and they knew his character. I think nicknames are great sometimes. I wonder what my nickname is from you lot, Uh, and you ought to see the nicknames I have for you lot. Uh, They're great, but this was a good nickname, wasn't it? This was a by-name that he was given, because it it reflected his character. He was known by the early church. His reputation, his gift was clear and known. He was an encourager, son of encouragement. Very positive. And the other other references we have in Acts give us uh, a a reflect on what that looked like for him as a Christian leader. And one of the first things was that he was generous. Uh, We uh, are told that he Uh, in the next verse to the one we read, that he uh, had a piece of land in Cyprus, and he sold it and brought the money to the feet of the disciples uh, in Jerusalem. He was generous. He he owned land, he recognized the, the gospel need, and he gave the money. And not only was he generous in that way, but he encouraged it in other times. We read in the passage we read in Acts chapter 11, it talked about the great famine that was going to come, And so, he encouraged the church in Antioch to raise money, uh, to bring it back to the disciples in Jerusalem, and he was someone who enthused and encouraged others to be generous. And also, we learn later on uh, in his life, or in Acts rather, that he was one of the few apostles who uh, didn't take any salary or any wage for being an apostle. He worked himself himself. Uh, uh, and supported himself rather than taking money from the young church. So, he was generous, and he had this generous uh, spirit which encouraged uh, other people. But he also was someone who took risks on other people. His generosity was reflected not just financially, uh, or his encouragement wasn't just financial, but it was also uh, the way he was generous uh, in the way he responded to other people. Uh, In Acts chapter 9, we have… Uh, Verses 26 and 27. He was the first person really uh, to take Saul seriously um, as a disciple. And when they'd come to Jerusalem, he attempted to join the disciples, that is Saul. And they were afraid of him, uh, uh, for they did not believe he was a disciple. But Barnabas took him and brought him to the apostles and declared to them how on the road he had been seen by the Lord who spoke to him, and how at Damascus he had preached boldly in the name of Jesus. So, he, he was willing there very early on to have a generous attitude towards Paul, where the other disciples were kind of dodgy and, and afraid. He trusted in uh, the forgiveness and in the testimony uh, and in the conversion of Saul, and he, he was willing to go out on a limb for him, as he was for John Mark in Acts chapter 15. There's an account, I'll mention this later, of a great, great big fallout in the leadership between Paul and Barnabas, and it's over John Mark, uh, who had previously deserted them in their first missionary journey. Uh, But Barnabas was willing to take John Mark again on the second journey and forgive him and give him a fresh start. He was positive about allowing John Mark. Now, we might say a little bit more about that. There might be a little bit more to that that is not so good. But anyway, we'll maybe mention that later if we have time. And in the account we read here, he's he's sent by the church in Jerusalem to Antioch, He's a son of encouragement, and he's going to see this young church and the report back as an ambassador of the church, and he's positive that these Gentiles are coming to faith. This is a new movement. God is working in the Gentiles just as much as the Jews, and he's willing to accept that and and, uh, return back with that message. So, he's generous. He took risks for others, and his encouragement also uh, developed in in the way that he was a a team leader. We see that uh, in his work with Paul, in his work with uh, John Mark, but also in his willingness here to uh, seek out uh, trainee and gifted leaders. The church in Antioch, he sees the need of the church, and so he sends for, who did he send for? He sends for Saul, this man who's been converted, who's got great teaching gifts, and he says, Saul, you come back, and you come back and, and work with me here, and we'll, we'll teach this young church. Now, what, but what's interesting about that uh, and it's a great mark of good leadership, uh, great encouragement, is that when when Paul comes or Saul comes, and they work together, and in the v- chapter we read, it's Barnabas and Paul. But as time goes on, we see that Luke changes things, and it becomes Paul and Barnabas. Paul becomes the main man. He's younger. He's newer Christian. Barnabas is an older, mature Christian, but he sees the gifts that Paul has, and he's willing to take a back seat. He's willing to encourage him. He's willing him to be the most significant player. And we see that even Luke recognizes that the the weight of responsibility changes from Barnabas and Paul together to Paul and Barnabas. And, And that's a great, encouraging mark in leadership and a great encouraging mark that he shows here. So, he's, uh, he's someone who, separate Drew, he's got a, a, a Jew, he's got a great nickname as an encourager, and that is reflected in his uh, the account we have. And we recognize, as we read here, that he is a spirit-filled Christian. We recognize and see in verse 24 that he was a man full of the Holy Spirit and of faith, a good man. Okay? It's, Barnabas, son of encouragement. He understood grace. He understood his need for and dependence on God. And that that made him attractive, and it molded his character. He didn't have grace in a box that he took out on a Sunday and put on. He didn't have grace for an emergency that he used only as the fourth emergency service. He was someone who lived grace— and who put that grace into practice as a son of encouragement, a good man, full of the Holy Spirit, and a central leader in the early church. He was a great teacher. He was a great evangelist. Lots of people came to faith through his teaching. He was uh, an encourager of young Christians to remain true to the faith. We see that uh, in verse 23, where he exhorted them uh, and encouraged them, this young Christian church in Antioch, to remain faithful to the Lord with steadfast purposes. So we see that some of these are some of the characteristics that are spoken of by uh, Barnes. But we also do recognize, in case you think this is flowery and sweet, and that he had a great life of ease as he went around and patted everyone on the back and was a great encourager. Uh, he, his life was also not plain sailing. And that, for us, I hope, is an encouragement, is that his life wasn't plain sailing. It's not that we look at Barnabas and see some unattainable Christian giant who was just brilliant towards everyone, and uh, he wasn't perfect. He's not Jesus. He he makes mistakes. Uh, He lives in an imperfect church with imperfect leaders, and he's an imperfect leader, and he, he lives in a world which is broken and difficult. And so it 's not all plain sailing for him. Uh, just a couple of things one I already mentioned. the first is at one point, uh, we see that he lost sight of grace himself. We're told uh, in Galatians two and verse 13, uh, where Paul's speaking about the problems of legalism in the church, and he says, the rest of the Jews acted hypocritically along with him, uh, so that even Bar- that's Peter, uh, so that even Barnabas was led astray by their hypocrisy. Can you imagine that? Barnabas, the son of encouragement. Barnabas, the one who went to Antioch and who said, yes, let's recognize the great work the Jews are doing. He is led astray by the legalists who come up from Jerusalem and say, no, the Gentile Christians must be circumcised, and they must obey the law of Moses. They're only half-baked Christians. They're only—they're not real Christians. They're only sort of Christians. They haven't Grown up through our tradition, and he falls into that legalism uh, in Antioch, and Paul roasts them for that. Paul blasts them for their legalism, right at the core, at the early point of the church. It's vital to get rid of the cancer of of moralistic legalism in the church, and he roasts them for being so hypocritical and legalistic. The great thing is that Barnabas clearly responds to that, and he then later, uh, of course, defends the church in Antioch to the uh, leaders in Jerusalem. And uh, forgiveness for him, therefore, was wrought in the fires of failure. That's important, isn't it? That we recognize our own failure and his willingness And his encouragement to forgive others came from his own experience of being forgiven both by Paul and by the Lord Jesus for his legalistic attitude. So, at one point, he lost sight of grace, and that's recorded. But also, uh, he has this huge disagreement, as I mentioned earlier, with Paul in Acts chapter 15, verses 37 to 39. Now, Barnabas wanted to take with them on their missionary journey uh, John called Mark. But Paul thought best not to take him with them, one who had withdrawn from them in Pamphylia and had not gone with them to the work. There arose a sharp disagreement so that they separated from each other. Barnabas took Mark with him and sailed away to Cyprus. Sails away! The great thing is that as Paul goes with Timothy, uh, with Titus and that, uh, Barnabas goes with John Mark, they kind of double up the work but we're not given much insight into what happened there. Uh, Was it that deep down that he struggled a little bit with Paul's dominance, Paul's rise to significance? Or was it he struggled with Paul's belligerence and his lack of forgiveness of John Mark, lack of giving him a second chance? John Mark was a relation of Barnabas's, so there may have been a little bit of blood being thicker than grace, I guess, that he might have just sided with his own cousin or relation rather than with uh, Paul. We don't know. But they did, uh, the interesting thing is they agreed to disagree and went their separate ways and served uh, the Lord Jesus Christ. And it seemed that they still, we don't hear much about them, but they did seem to get on uh, and continue uh, with the work together. But it's not Always easy to work with others, we know that we all know that as leaders in the church, we all know that within the church. Uh, but one of, probably one of the temptations of being an encourager, negative temptation of being an encourager, is being a people pleaser. Maybe on this occasion, Barnabas was just desperate to please uh, uh, John Mark um, and keep everyone trying and keep everyone happy, and that is possible. it never works. It never works to be a people pleaser. Uh, but we, we can see the difference between encouragement and people pleasing uh, in the life of Barnabas. So, the gift of encouragement. We've seen his life. We've seen what the Bible teaches, uh, at, at least at some level. What, can we, what, what lessons can we take from Barnabas and from the teaching of the Bible uh, about encouragement in our own Christian community? in your own family, in your workplace, where, in, where, where you're studying, whatever it might be, how, how, is, how can we develop? Maybe you have a special gift of encouragement that God has given you by the Holy Spirit. How can you develop and nurture that? Maybe by nature you're a pessimist and a discourager. You always, the glass is always half empty. Now in Scotland, we're all like that. That's just part of our culture and our background as Calvinistic, Presbyterian rain dwellers. We tend to be that way sometimes. But how can we take uh, generosity and recognize it as a hugely significant biblical characteristic? And, and what does it mean? Does it just mean slapping someone in the back and telling them to carry on going? Not so. I think the first thing, uh, and I've just mentioned three things. The first thing is rooted in grace and truth. That's hugely significant. We see that in Barnabas. He was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and faith, and that's recorded as being significant. It's grounded in the truth of the gospel. He knew all about himself, and that enabled him to be redeemed, forgiven, and encourager to others. He was a teacher of what he had received, and it wasn't for him just a natural characteristic, It wasn't just the kind of guy he was but it was because he was a good man in Christ, full of the Holy Spirit, that he became an encourager. Uh, and that gives encouragement a deep hue, a deep color in our lives, because it means we're mimic- taking the time in our day-to-day lives to look at Jesus Christ, eyeball to eyeball, and see his character and how he should be reflected in our lives. It, we're What it is is mimicking the nature of God. That's what it is. That's what encouragement is. The God who is the encourager. We, uh, are, in our style of leadership, in our style of membership, in our style of recognizing Christian community, we are seeking uh, that uh, reflection of God in our encouragement and uh, in one of the passages we read, it speaks about God encouraging unity through that. uh, That's glorifying to God, and encouragement is a great way towards that. You know that, don't you? You know today in your Christian life the road is very steep for you, and the battles are very real in your Christian life. And you know that it's so easy to be knocked down, and that so many people knock us down. And you know that there's so many tears when people discourage us, and expose our failings and faults, and our impotence, and our ignorance, and our uselessness. Why does that discourage us? Because we know it anyway. We know it. We don't really need it to be trumpeted by everybody else. We know our own failures, and we don't need discouragement. Yes, we need accountability. Yes, we need to be told the truth in love, but we don't need to be a given quick words of discouragement. Uh, as uh, we walk on our road. It's like a marathon, the Christian life, isn't it? We need endurance. And in this Christian life, we are amateurs. There's only one professional, and that's the Lord Jesus Christ. And we need His help and His greatness and His promises and His power and His friendship. And we need the encouragement of one another. Do you remember what what Corey was saying last Sunday evening about friendship from the book of Proverbs, it's that love that is shoulder to shoulder with people but becomes eye to eye. It's the importance of of having people that will walk shoulder to shoulder with you and the encouragement of that, but that it deepens into becoming something uh, where we are uh, eye to eye spiritual encouragers. I don't want St. Columbus to be full of matesy-mates, good old friends that are just friendly now and again, or friendly in a superficial, shallow, meaningless way, but encouragers, deep-seated, deeply-rooted encouragers in Jesus Christ in the way that Barnabas was. Now, that is is really tough. That is far tougher than being legalistic, for example— and far tougher than being judgmental, and far tougher than being discouraging, and a perfectionist. So, it's rooted in grace and truth. And therefore, the second characteristic of it is generosity. We see that wholeheartedly uh, with Barnabas, doesn't it? And so, we'll be encouragers if we are generous with all the resources God has given to us, and with our spirit, with our very being. So, if you'll find the parallels in Scripture, you'll find discouragement is often paralleled with meanness, meanness of the use of our resources, of our time, of our gifts that God has poured out, and probably most significantly, mean-spirited towards other people. That's, that's, that's where discouragement finds its root, in, in meanness, in being willing um, to always think the worst about people, to be willing to, qu- to be quick to condemn and criticise, whether it's in church leadership or, or any kind of leadership. Uh, I've come across several situations recently, not, not personal, not here uh, generally, but that in lots of different walks of life, um, leaders are accountable, of course, in, in the workplace and in the home and uh, in the church and, and elsewhere uh, and politics. But it's, a, it's, an, it's, an, it's, an, it's an easy shot to always cri- to be critical of those in these positions um, and to be a discourager and always to know better than what they're seeking to do. And, and the Christian gospel is set up in such a way where submission is important. All of us uh, as leaders and as people together are submissive under Christ and encouragers uh, for him. Being discouraging uh, often is about making ourselves important and significant. But the opposite, encouragement, is so transformational, so radical, and so uplifting. It's something I know you crave, and I know I crave. We all crave rightful, grace- and truth-filled encouragement that we need to strive for here, in our families, in our marriages, in our workplaces— and we have seen at many different levels huge amounts of generosity in St. Columbus. At, at a personal level, we've seen it financially and the way God's provided for us, in the, particularly in our church plants, and in so many different ways. God pouring out His Spirit upon us in our ability to develop staffing and uh, helping in Nepal and in mission situations. And it's a great encouragement. And your resources, your time, what you give, how you're willing to open your homes and your hearts is such an encouragement. And you know it is great to receive that. So, generosity rooted in grace and truth. And lastly, and very briefly, also it's self-forgetful. You see that with Barnabas, don't you? He's self-forgetful in his willingness to, for God to have the glory, for Paul to take first place in leadership, and to forgive and work with John Mark and others. Uh, he's, willing, he's willing to train others, invest in them, spend time with them. Uh, as an older, mature believer, he's willing to spend time with Paul and, and let him take that position. He's willing to encourage young Christians in Antioch. And it's a great thing here also, uh, self-forgetfulness. Self-forgetfulness can be a great mark of an encourager, someone who uh, is willing to forgive, willing to nurture, willing to give the second chance. Now, we have the privilege of, over this last probably eight year to 18 months, to have welcomed a number of older members into the congregation, a great uh, deficit that we had previously. And it's you know, an un- astonishing blessing to have them. And they have the privilege of being able to share from their lives with this very young, in many ways, congregation. Uh, And as older Christians, we remember what we were like. Uh, We ought to. And as we do so, it helps us to be encouragers of others, of young Christians in particular, and self-forget. We're willing for others to take the credit. We're willing for others to take the limelight. We're willing to take risks with people. We ought to be willing to stand aside and let others flourish and put the glory of God before ourselves, before our noses being out of joint, before our traditions, before our power, before our importance. We can encourage, as we have the freedom of grace and the perspective of belonging, to Jesus, and our identity being in him, we can encourage others, even if it means we are always in the background, if it means that, well, we move on quickly, don't we, from the scene of time. We're only here for a while, and uh, we will soon be forgotten. Generosity and and self-forgetfulness in Christ gives us a, a, a generous serving spirit as we recognize our frailty And the forgiveness that we've had and the encouragement we've received. You remember, don't you? The people that encouraged you in your fledgling Christian faith. You remember the older people that took you aside and spoke to you lovingly about Jesus. You remember the people when you made mistakes, forgave you and corrected you in love. You remember the encouragers because they were so important and probably because they were so rare because we also remember the discouragers and those who broke our spirit and those who made us want to give up the Christian faith. It's interesting, isn't it? Why do we preach? We preach the living word because we hope it encourages. We hope it lifts us to a place where we want to be. We hope it makes us fall on our knees pleading for the forgiveness that we seek and that we want to offer others. We hope it enables us at least sometimes to soar on wings like eagles on the current of grace that has transformed our own lives and fall on our knees. Also to pray for change. A community of encouragers. Isn't that a great... Wouldn't that be a great epitaph for this congregation? Not that I think we'll ever die, but uh, just in case we did. That we would be a community of encouragers good people, full of the Holy Spirit, uh, like God. And it comes from knowing grace in our own hearts and the importance of praying for that grace in ourselves and in others. And if you don't know that grace, you may have the common grace of encouragement that God gave you when you were born, but there's a much deeper, much more significant encouragement that you will only know as you come to faith in Jesus Christ yourself and the encouragement of salvation that he offers. Let's bow our heads and and pray. Father God, we pray that you would apply your word to us. We know we need your word uh, to be lifted from its pages by the Holy Spirit and breathed into our lives. And we ask that we would, before we speak today, uh, before we respond or react, before we go to work maybe tomorrow before we uh, live our lives, that we would think about uh, what we say and, and what we do and how we live uh, to see whether we are encouragers. And we know that doesn't mean that we're not going to be honest or we're not going to be accountable or mentoring or leading others, but to do so in love and to do so with grace and to do so recognizing our own hearts help us. we pray in, in all of these things and we ask that we would be encouraged ourselves and encouragers as people in this day and generation where there does seem maybe particularly in places like social media so much abuse and discouragement and negativity and brokenness that can sometimes just tear our hearts apart so we ask for your help and for your grace and for your goodness and for your love to reveal itself in our hearts and in our lives. For Jesus' sake, amen.